Chapter One of the Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. The Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, being the second and last part of his life, and the strange, surprising accounts of his travels round three parts of the globe, by Daniel Defoe. Chapter One revisits island that homely proverb used on so many occasions in england viz that what is bred in the bone will not go out of the flesh was never more verified than in the story of my life any one would think that after thirty-five years affliction and a variety of unhappy circumstances which few men if any ever went through before and after near seven years of peace and enjoyment in the fullness of all things grown old and when if ever it might be allowed me to have had experience of every state of middle life and to know which was most adapted to make a man completely happy i say after all this any one would have thought that the native propensity to rambling which i gave an account of in my first setting out in the world to have been so predominant in my thoughts should be worn out and i might at sixty-one years of age have been a little inclined to stay at home and have done venturing life and fortune any more nay farther the common motive of foreign adventures was taken away in me for i had no fortune to make i had nothing to seek if i had gained ten thousand pounds i had been no richer for i had already sufficient for me and for those i had to leave it to and what i had was visibly increasing for having no great family i could not spend the income of what i had unless i would set up for an expensive way of living such as a great family servants equipage gaiety and the like which were things i had no notion of or inclination to so that i had nothing indeed to do but to sit still and fully enjoy what i had got and see it increase daily upon my hands yet all these things had no effect upon me or at least not enough to resist the strong inclination i had to go abroad again which hung about me like a chronic distemper in particular the desire of seeing my new plantation in the island and the colony i left there ran in my head continually i dreamed of it all night and my imagination ran upon it all day it was uppermost in all my thoughts and my fancy worked so steadily and strongly upon it that i talked of it in my sleep in short nothing could remove it out of my mind it even broke so violently into all my discourses that it made my conversation tiresome for i could talk of nothing else all my discourse ran into it even to impertinence and i saw it myself i have often heard persons of good judgment say that all the stir that people make in the world about ghosts and apparitions is owing to the strength of imagination and the powerful operation of fancy in their minds that there is no such thing as a spirit appearing or a ghost walking that people's poring affectionately upon the past conversation of their deceased friends so realizes it to them that they are capable of fancying upon some extraordinary circumstances that they see them talk to them and are answered by them when in truth there is nothing but shadow and vapour in the thing and they really know nothing of the matter for my part i know not to this hour whether there are any such things as real apparitions spectres or walking of people after they are dead 
or whether there is anything in the stories that they tell us of that kind more than the product of vapors sick minds and wandering fancies but this i know that my imagination worked up to such a height and brought me into such excess of vapors or what else i may call it that i actually supposed myself often upon the spot at my old castle behind the trees saw my old spaniard friday's father and the reprobate sailors i left upon the island nay i fancied i talked with them and looked at them steadily though i was broad awake as at persons just before me and this i did till i often frightened myself with the images my fancy represented to me one time in my sleep i had the villainy of the three pirate sailors so lively related to me by the first spaniard and friday's father that it was surprising they told me how they barbarously attempted to murder all the spaniards and that they set fire to the provisions they had laid up on purpose to distress and starve them things that i had never heard of and that indeed were never all of them true in fact but it was so warm in my imagination and so realized to me that to the hour i saw them i could not be persuaded but that it was or would be true also how i resented it when the spaniard complained to me and how i brought them to justice tried them and ordered them all three to be hanged what there was really in this shall be seen in its place for however i came to form such things in my dream and what secret converse of spirits injected it yet there was i say much of it true i own that this dream had nothing in it literally and specifically true but the general part was so true the base villainous behaviour of these three hardened rogues was such and had been so much worse than all i can describe that the dream had too much similitude of the fact and as i would afterwards have punished them severely so if i had hanged them all i had been much in the right and even should have been justified both by the laws of god and man but to return to my story in this kind of temper i lived some years i had no enjoyment of my life no pleasant hours no agreeable diversion but what had something or other of this in it so that my wife who saw my mind wholly bent upon it told me very seriously one night that she believed there was some secret powerful impulse of providence upon me which had determined me to go thither again and that she found nothing hindered me going but my being engaged to a wife and children she told me that it was true she could not think of parting with me but as she was assured that if she was dead it would be the first thing i would do so as it seemed to her that the thing was determined above she would not be the only obstruction for if i thought fit and resolved to go here she found me very intent upon her words and that i looked very earnestly at her so that it a little disordered her and she stopped i asked her why she did not go on and say out what she was going to say but i perceived that her heart was too full and some tears stood in her eyes speak out my dear said i are you willing i should go no says she very affectionately i am far from willing but if you are resolved to go says she rather than i would be the only hindrance i will go with you for though i think it a most preposterous thing for one of your years and in your condition yet if it must be said she again weeping i would not leave you for if it be of heaven you must do it there is no resisting it and if heaven make it your duty to go he will also make it mine to go with you or otherwise dispose of me 
that I may not obstruct it. This affectionate behavior of my wife's brought me a little out of the vapors, and I began to consider what I was doing. I corrected my wandering fancy, and began to argue with myself sedately what business I had after threescore years, and after such a life of tedious sufferings and disasters, and closed in so happy and easy a manner, I say, what business had I to rush into new hazards, and put myself upon adventures fit only for youth and poverty to run into? With those thoughts I considered my new engagement, that I had a wife, one child born, and my wife then great with child of another, that I had all the world could give me, and had no need to seek hazard for gain, that I was declining in years, and ought to think rather of leaving what I had gained than of seeking to increase it, that as what to my wife had said of its being an impulse from heaven, and that it should be my duty to go, I had no notion of that. So, after many of these cogitations, I struggled with the power of my imagination, reasoned myself out of it, as I believe people may always do in like cases if they will. In a word, I conquered it, composed myself with such arguments as occurred to my thoughts, and which my present condition furnished me plentifully with, and particularly, as the most effectual method, I resolved to divert myself with other things, and to engage in some business that might effectually tie me up from any more excursions of this kind, for I found that thing return upon me chiefly when I was idle, and had nothing to do, nor anything of moment immediately before me. To this purpose I bought a little farm in the county of Bedford, and resolved to remove myself thither. I had a little convenient house upon it, and the land about it, I found, was capable of great improvement, and it was many ways suited to my inclination, which delighted in cultivating, managing, planting, and improving of land, and particularly, being an inland country, I was removed from conversing among sailors and things relating to the remote parts of the world. I went down to my farm, settled my family, bought ploughs, harrows, a cart, wagon-horses, cows, and sheep, and, setting seriously to work, became in one half-year a mere country gentleman. My thoughts were entirely taken up in managing my servants, cultivating the ground, enclosing, planting, etc., and I lived, as I thought, the most agreeable life that nature was capable of directing, or that a man, always bred to misfortunes, was capable of retreating to. I farmed upon my own land, I had no rent to pay, was limited by no articles, I could pull up or cut down as I pleased, what I planted was for myself, and what I improved was for my family, and having thus left off the thoughts of wandering, I had not the least discomfort in any part of life as to this world. Now I thought, indeed, that I enjoyed the middle state of life which my father so earnestly recommended to me and lived a kind of heavenly life, something like what is described by the poet upon the subject of a country life, free from vices, free from care, age has no pain, and youth no snare. But in the middle of all this felicity, one blow from unseen providence unhinged me at once, and not only made a breach upon me inevitable and incurable, but drove me, by its consequences, into a deep relapse of the wandering disposition, which, as I may say, being born in my very blood, soon recovered its hold of me, and like the returns of a violent distemper, came on with an irresistible force upon me. This blow was the loss of my wife. 
it is not my business here to write an elegy upon my wife give a character of her particular virtues and make my court to the sex by the flattery of a funeral sermon she was in a few words the stay of all my affairs the centre of all my enterprises the engine that by her prudence reduced me to that happy compass i was in from the most extravagant and ruinous project that filled my head and did more to guide my rambling genius than a mother's tears a father's instructions a friend's counsel or all my own reasoning powers could do i was happy in listening to her and in being moved by her entreaties and to the last degree desolate and dislocated in the world by the loss of her when she was gone the world looked awkwardly round me i was as much a stranger in it in my thoughts as i was in the brazils when i first went on shore there and as much alone except for the assistance of servants as i was in my island i knew neither what to think nor what to do i saw the world busy around me one part laboring for bread another part squandering in vile excesses or empty pleasures but equally miserable because the end they proposed still fled from them for the men of pleasure every day surfeited of their vice and heaped up work for sorrow and repentance and the men of labor spent their strength in daily struggling for bread to maintain the vital strength they labored with so living in a daily circulation of sorrow living but to work and working but to live as if daily bread were the only end of wearisome life and a wearisome life the only occasion of daily bread this put me in mind of the life i lived in my kingdom the island where i suffered no more corn to grow because i did not want it and bred no more goats because i had no more use for them where the money lay in the drawer till it grew mouldy and had scarce the favour to be looked upon in twenty years all these things had i improved them as i ought to have done and as reason and religion had dictated to me would have taught me to search farther than human enjoyments for a full felicity and that there was something which certainly was the reason and end of life superior to all these things and which was either to be possessed or at least hoped for on this side of the grave but my sage counsellor was gone i was like a ship without a pilot that could only run afore the wind my thoughts ran all away again into the old affair my head was quite turned with the whimsies of foreign adventures and all the pleasant innocent amusements of my farm my garden my cattle and my family which before entirely possessed me were nothing to me had no relish and were like music to one who has no ear or food to one that has no taste in a word i resolved to leave off housekeeping let my farm and return to london and in a few months after i did so when i came to london i was still as uneasy as i was before i had no relish for the place no employment in it nothing to do but to saunter about like an idle person of whom it may be said he is perfectly useless in god's creation and it is not one farthing's matter to the rest of his kind whether he be dead or alive this also was the thing which of all circumstances of life was the most my aversion who has been all my days used to an active life and i would often say to myself a state of idleness is the very dregs of life and indeed i thought i was much more suitably employed when i was twenty-six days making a deal board it was now the beginning of the year sixteen ninety three when my nephew 
whom, as I have observed before, I had brought up to the sea, and had made him commander of a ship, was come home from a short voyage to Bilbao, being the first he had made. He came to me, and told me that some merchants of his acquaintance had been proposing to him to go a voyage for them to the East Indies, and to China, as private traders. And now, uncle, says he, if you will go to sea with me, I will engage to land you upon your old habitation in the island, for we are to touch at the Brazils. Nothing can be a greater demonstration of a future state, and of the existence of an invisible world, than the concurrence of second causes with the idea of things which we form in our minds, perfectly reserved, and not communicated to any in the world. My nephew knew nothing how far my distemper of wandering was returned upon me, and I knew nothing of what he had in his thought to say, when that very morning, before he came to me, I had, in a great deal of confusion of thought, and resolving every part of my circumstances in my mind, come to this resolution, that I would go to Lisbon, and consult with my old sea-captain, and if it was rational and practicable, I would go and see the island again, and what was become of my people there. I had pleased myself with the thoughts of peopling the place, and carrying inhabitants from hence, getting a patent for the possession and I know not what, when, in the middle of all this, in comes my nephew, as I have said, with his project of carrying me thither in his way to the East Indies. I paused a while at his words, and looking steadily at him, what devil, said I, sent you on this unlucky errand? My nephew stared as if he had been frightened at first, but perceiving that I was not much displeased at the proposal, he recovered himself. I hope it may not be an unlucky proposal, sir, says he. I dare say you would be pleased to see your new colony there, where you once reigned with more felicity than most of your brother monarchs in the world. In a word, the scheme hit so exactly with my temper, that is to say, the prepossession I was under, and of which I have said so much, that I told him, in a few words, if he agreed with the merchants, I would go with him. But I told him I would not promise to go any further than my own island. Why, sir, says he, you don't want to be left there again, I hope. But, said I, can you not take me up again on your return? He told me it would not be possible to do so, that the merchants would never allow him to come that way with a laden ship of such value, it being a month's sail out of his way, and might be three or four. Besides, sir, if I should miscarry, said he, and not return at all, then you would be just reduced to the condition you were in before. This was very rational but we both found out a remedy for it, which was to carry a framed sloop on board the ship, which, being taken in pieces, might, by the help of some carpenters, whom we agreed to carry with us, be set up again in the island, and finished fit to go to sea in a few days. I was not long resolving, for indeed the importunities of my nephew joined so effectually with my inclination, that nothing could oppose me, on the other hand, my wife being dead, none concerned themselves so much for me as to persuade me one way or the other, except my ancient good friend the widow, who earnestly struggled with me to consider my years, my easy circumstances, and the needless hazards of a long voyage, and above all my young children. But it was all to no purpose. I had an irresistible desire for the voyage, and I told her I thought there was something so uncommon in the impressions I had upon my mind, 
that it would be a kind of resisting providence if i should attempt to stay at home after which she ceased her expostulations and joined with me not only in making provision for my voyage but also in settling my family affairs for my absence and providing for the education of my children in order to do this i made my will and settled the estate i had in such a manner for my children and placed in such hands that i was perfectly easy and satisfied they would have justice done them whatever might befall me and for their education i left it wholly to the widow with a sufficient maintenance to herself for her care all which she richly deserved for no mother could have taken more care in their education or understood it better and as she lived till i came home i also lived to thank her for it my nephew was ready to sail about the beginning of january sixteen ninety four and five and i with my man friday went on board in the downs the eighth having besides that sloop which i mentioned above a very considerable cargo of all kinds of necessary things for my colony which if i did not find it in good condition i resolved to leave so first i carried with me some servants whom i purposed to place there as inhabitants or at least to set on work there upon my account while i stayed and either to leave them there or carry them forward as they should appear willing particularly i carried two carpenters a smith and a very handy ingenious fellow who was a cooper by trade and was also a general mechanic for he was dexterous at making wheels and hand-mills to grind corn was a good turner and a good pot-maker he also made anything that was proper to make of earth or of wood in a word we called him our jack-of-all-trades with these i carried a tailor who had offered himself to go a passenger to the east indies with my nephew but afterwards consented to stay on our new plantation and who proved a most necessary handy fellow as could be desired in many other businesses besides that of his trade for as i observed formerly necessity arms us for all employments my cargo as near as i can recollect for i have not kept account of the particulars consisted of a sufficient quantity of linen and some english thin stuffs for clothing the spaniards that i expected to find there and enough of them as by my calculation might comfortably supply them for seven years if i remember right the materials i carried for clothing them with gloves hats shoes stockings and all such things as they could want for wearing amounted to about two hundred pounds including some beds bedding and household stuff particularly kitchen utensils with pots kettles pewter brass etc and near a hundred pounds more in ironwork nails tools of every kind staples hooks hinges and every necessary thing i could think of i carried also a hundred spare arms muskets and fusees besides some pistols a considerable quantity of shot of all sizes three or four tons of lead and two pieces of brass cannon and because i knew not what time and what extremities i was providing for i carried a hundred barrels of powder besides swords cutlasses and the iron part of some pikes and halberds in short we had a large magazine of all sorts of store and i made my nephew carry two small quarter-deck guns more than he wanted for his ship to leave behind if there was occasion so that when we came there we might build a fort and man it against all sorts of enemies indeed i at first thought there would be need enough for all 
and much more if we hope to maintain our possession of the island as shall be seen in the course of that story i had not such bad luck in this voyage as i had been used to meet with and therefore shall have the less occasion to interrupt the reader who perhaps may be impatient to hear how matters went with my colony yet some odd accidents cross winds and bad weather happened on this first setting out which made the voyage longer than i expected it at first and i who had never made but one voyage my first voyage to guinea in which i might be said to come back again as the voyage was at first designed began to think the same ill fate attended me and that i was born to be never contented with being on shore and yet to be always unfortunate at sea contrary winds first put us to the northward and we were obliged to put in at galway in ireland where we lay wind-bound two and twenty days but we had this satisfaction with the disaster that provisions were here exceeding cheap and in the utmost plenty so that while we lay here we never touched the ship's stores but rather added to them here also i took in several live hogs and two cows with their calves which i resolved if i had a good passage to put on shore in my island but we found occasion to dispose otherwise of them we set out on the fifth of february from ireland and had a very fair gale of wind for some days as i remember it might be about the twentieth of february in the evening late when the mate having the watch came into the round-house and told us he saw a flash of fire and heard a gun fired and while he was telling us of it a boy came in and told us the boatswain heard another this made us all run out upon the quarter-deck where for a while we heard nothing but in a few minutes we saw a very great light and found that there was some very terrible fire at a distance immediately we had recourse to our reckonings in which we all agreed that there could be no land that way in which the fire showed itself no not for five hundred leagues for it appeared at west-north-west upon this we concluded it must be some ship on fire at sea and as by our hearing the noise of guns just before we concluded that it could not be far off we stood directly towards it and were presently satisfied we should discover it because the further we sailed the greater the light appeared though the weather being hazy we could not perceive anything but the light for a while in about half an hour's sailing the wind being fair for us though not much of it and the weather clearing up a little we could plainly discern that it was a great ship on fire in the middle of the sea i was most sensibly touched with this disaster though not at all acquainted with the persons engaged in it i presently recollected my former circumstances and what condition i was in when taken up by the portuguese captain and how much more deplorable the circumstances of the poor creatures belonging to that ship must be if they had no other ship in company with them upon this i immediately ordered that five guns should be fired one soon after another that if possible we might give notice to them that there was help for them at hand and that they might endeavor to save themselves in their boat for though we could see the flames of the ship yet they it being night could see nothing of us we lay by some time upon this only driving as the burning ship drove waiting for daylight when on a sudden to our great terror though we had reason to expect it the ship blew up in the air and in a few minutes all the fire was out that is to say the rest of the ship sunk 
this was a terrible and indeed an afflicting sight for the sake of the poor men who i concluded must be either all destroyed in the ship or be in the utmost distress in their boat in the middle of the ocean which at present as it was dark i could not see however to direct them as well as i could i caused lights to be hung out in all parts of the ship where we could and which we had lanterns for and kept firing guns all the night long letting them know by this that there was a ship not far off about eight o'clock in the morning we discovered the ship's boats by the help of our perspective glasses and found there were two of them both thronged with people and deep in the water we perceived they rowed the wind being against them that they saw our ship and did their utmost to make us see them we immediately spread our ancient to let them know we saw them and hung a waft out as a signal for them to come on board and then made more sail standing directly to them in little more than half an hour we came up with them and took them all in being no less than sixty-four men women and children for there were a great many passengers upon inquiry we found it was a french merchant ship of three hundred tons home bound from quebec the master gave us a long account of the distress of his ship how the fire began in the steerage by the negligence of the steersman which on his crying out for help was as everybody thought entirely put out but they soon found that some sparks of the first fire had got into some part of the ship so difficult to come at that they could not effectually quench it and afterwards getting in between the timbers and within the ceiling of the ship it proceeded into the hold and mastered all the skill and all the application they were able to exert they had no more to do then but to get into their boats which to their great comfort were pretty large being their long-boat and a great shallop besides a small skiff which was of no great service to them other than to get some fresh water and provisions into her after they had secured their lives from the fire they had indeed small hopes of their lives by getting into these boats at that distance from any land only as they said that they thus escaped from the fire and there was a possibility that some ship might happen to be at sea and might take them in they had sails oars and a compass and had as much provision and water as with sparing it so as to be next door to starving might support them about twelve days in which if they had no bad weather and no contrary winds the captain said he hoped he might get to the banks of newfoundland and might perhaps take some fish to sustain them till they might go on shore but there were so many chances against them in all these cases such as storms to overset and founder them rains and cold to be numb and perish their limbs contrary winds to keep them out and starve them that it must have been next to miraculous if they had escaped in the midst of their consternation every one being hopeless and ready to despair the captain with tears in his eyes told me they were on a sudden surprised with the joy of hearing a gun fire and after that four more these were the five guns which i caused to be fired at first seeing the light this revived their hearts and gave them the notice which as above i desired it should that there was a ship at hand for their help it was upon the hearing of these guns that they took down their masts and sails the sound coming from the windward they resolved to lie by till morning some time after this hearing no more guns they fired three muskets one a considerable while after another 
but these the wind being contrary we never heard some time after that again they were still more agreeably surprised with seeing our lights and hearing the guns which as i have said i caused to be fired all the rest of the night this set them to work with their oars to keep their boats ahead at least that we might the sooner come up with them and at last to their inexpressible joy they found we saw them it is impossible for me to express the several gestures the strange ecstasies the variety of postures which these poor delivered people ran into to express the joy of their souls at so unexpected a deliverance grief and fear are easily described sighs tears groans and a very few motions of the head and hands make up the sum of its variety but an excess of joy a surprise of joy has a thousand extravagances in it there were some in tears some raging and tearing themselves as if they had been in the greatest agonies of sorrow some stark raving and downright lunatic some ran about the ship stamping with their feet others wringing their hands some were dancing some singing some laughing more crying many quite dumb not able to speak a word others sick and vomiting several swooning and ready to faint and a few were crossing themselves and giving god thanks i would not wrong them either there might be many that were thankful afterwards but the passion was too strong for them at first and they were not able to master it then were thrown into ecstasies and a kind of frenzy and it was but a very few that were composed and serious in their joy perhaps also the case may have some addition to it from the particular circumstances of that nation they belonged to i mean the french whose temper is allowed to be more volatile more passionate and more sprightly and their spirits more fluid than in other nations i am not philosopher enough to determine the cause but nothing i had ever seen before came up to it the ecstasy's poor friday my trusty savage was in when he found his father in the boat came the nearest to it and the surprise of the master and his two companions whom i delivered from the villains that set them on shore in the island came a little way towards it but nothing was to compare to this either that i saw in friday or anywhere else in my life it is further observable that these extravagances did not show themselves in that different manner i have mentioned in different persons only but all the variety would appear in a short succession of moments in one and the same person a man that we saw this minute dumb and as it were stupid and confounded would the next minute be dancing and hallooing like an antic and the next moment be tearing his hair or pulling his clothes to pieces and stamping them under his feet like a madman in a few moments after that we would have him all in tears then sick swooning and had not immediate help been had he would in a few moments have been dead thus it was not with one or two or ten or twenty but with the greatest part of them and if i remember right our surgeon was obliged to let blood of about thirty persons there were two priests among them one an old man and the other a young man and that which was strangest was the oldest man was the worst as soon as he set his foot on board our ship and saw himself safe he dropped down stone dead to all appearance not the least sign of life could be perceived in him our surgeon immediately applied proper remedies to recover him and was the only man in the ship that believed he was not dead 
at length he opened a vein in his arm having first chafed and rubbed the part so as to warm it as much as possible upon this the blood which only dropped at first flowing freely in three minutes after the man opened his eyes a quarter of an hour after that he spoke grew better and after the blood was stopped he walked about told us he was perfectly well and took a dram of cordial which the surgeon gave him about a quarter of an hour after this they came running into the cabin to the surgeon who was bleeding a frenchwoman that had fainted and told him the priest was gone stark mad it seems he had begun to resolve the change of his circumstances in his mind and again this put him in an ecstasy of joy his spirits whirled about faster than the vessels could convey them the blood grew hot and feverish and the man was as fit for bedlam as any creature that ever was in it the surgeon would not bleed him again in that condition but gave him something to doze and put him to sleep which after some time operated upon him and he awoke next morning perfectly composed and well the younger priest behaved with great command of his passions and was really an example of a serious well-governed mind at his first coming on board the ship he threw himself flat on his face prostrating himself in thankfulness for his deliverance in which i unhappily and unseasonably disturbed him really thinking he had been in a swoon but he spoke calmly thanked me told me he was giving god thanks for his deliverance begged me to leave him a few moments and that next to his maker he would give me thanks also i was heartily sorry that i disturbed him and not only left him but kept others from interrupting him also he continued in that posture about three minutes or little more after i left him then came to me as he had said he would and with a great deal of seriousness and affection but with tears in his eyes thanked me that had under god given him and so many miserable creatures their lives i told him i had no need to tell him to thank god for it rather than me for i had seen that he had done that already but i added that it was nothing but what reason and humanity dictated to all men and that we had as much reason as he to give thanks to god who had blessed us so far as to make us the instruments of his mercy to so many of his creatures after this the young priest applied himself to his countrymen and labored to compose them he persuaded entreated argued reasoned with them and did his utmost to keep them within the exercise of their reason and with some he had success though others were for a time out of all government of themselves i cannot help committing this to writing as perhaps it may be useful to those into whose hands it may fall for guiding themselves in the extravagances of their passions for if an excess of joy can carry men out to such a length beyond the reach of their reason what will not the extravagances of anger rage and a provoked mind carry us to and indeed here i saw reason for keeping an exceeding watch over our passions of every kind as well those of joy and satisfaction as those of sorrow and anger we were somewhat disordered by these extravagances among our new guests for the first day but after they had retired to lodgings provided for them as well as our ship would allow and had slept heartily as most of them did being fatigued and frightened they were quite another sort of people the next day nothing of good manners or civil acknowledgments for the kindness shown them was wanting the french it is known are naturally apt enough to exceed that way the captain and one of the priests came to me the next day 
and desired to speak with me and my nephew the commander began to consult with us what should be done with them and first they told us we had saved their lives so all they had was little enough for a return to us for that kindness received the captain said they had saved some money and some things of value in their boats caught hastily out of the flames and if we would accept it they were ordered to make an offer of it all to us they only desired to be set on shore somewhere in our way where if possible they might get a passage to france my nephew wished to accept their money at first word and to consider what to do with them afterwards but i overruled him in that part for i knew what it was to be set on shore in a strange country and if the portuguese captain that took me up at sea had served me so and taken all i had for my deliverance i must have been starved or have been as much a slave at the brazils as i had been at barbary the mere being sold to a mohammedan accepted and perhaps a portuguese is not a much better master than a turk if not in some cases much worse i therefore told the french captain that we had taken them up in their distress it was true but that it was our duty to do so as we were fellow-creatures and we would desire to be so delivered if we were in the like or any other extremity that we had done nothing for them but what we believed they would have done for us if we had been in their case and they in ours but that we took them up to save them not to plunder them and it would be a most barbarous thing to take that little from them which they had saved out of the fire and then set them on shore and leave them that this would be first to save them from death and then kill them ourselves save them from drowning and abandon them to starving and therefore i would not let the least thing be taken from them as to setting them on shore i told them indeed that was an exceeding difficulty to us for that the ship was bound to the east indies and though we were driven out of our course to the westward a very great way and perhaps were directed by heaven on purpose for their deliverance yet it was impossible for us wilfully to change our voyage on their particular account nor could my nephew the captain answer it to the freighters with whom he was under charter to pursue his voyage by way of brazil and all i knew we could do for them was to put ourselves in the way of meeting with other ships homeward bound from the west indies and get them a passage if possible to england or france the first part of the proposal was so generous and kind they could not but be very thankful for it but they were in very great consternation especially the passengers at the notion of being carried away to the east indies they then entreated me that as i was driven so far to the westward before i met with them i would at least keep on the same course to the banks of newfoundland where it was probable i might meet with some ship or sloop that they might hire to carry them back to canada i thought this was but a reasonable request on their part and therefore i inclined to agree to it for indeed i considered that to carry this whole company to the east indies would not only be an intolerable severity upon the poor people but would be ruining our whole voyage by devouring all our provisions so i thought it no breach of charter party but what an unforeseen accident made absolutely necessary to us and in which no one could say we were to blame for the laws of god and nature would have forbid that we should refuse to take up two boats full of people in such a distressed condition and the nature of the thing as well respecting ourselves as the poor people obliged us to set them on shore somewhere or other for their deliverance 
so i consented that we would carry them to newfoundland if wind and weather would permit and if not i would carry them to martinico in the west indies the wind continued fresh easterly but the weather pretty good and as the winds had continued in the points between northeast and southeast a long time we missed several opportunities of sending them to france for we met several ships bound to europe whereof two were french from st christopher's but they had been so long beating up against the wind that they durst take in no passengers for fear of wanting provisions for the voyage as well for themselves as for those they should take in so we were obliged to go on it was about a week after this that we made the banks of newfoundland where to shorten my story we put all our french people on board a bark which they hired at sea there to put them on shore and afterwards to carry them to france if they could get provisions to victual themselves with when i say all the french went on shore i should remember that the young priest i spoke of hearing we were bound to the east indies desired to go the voyage with us and to be set on shore on the coast of coromandel which i readily agreed to for i wonderfully liked the man and had very good reason as will appear afterwards also four of the seamen entered themselves on our ship and proved very useful fellows from hence we directed our course for the west indies steering away south and south by east for about twenty days together sometimes little or no wind at all when we met with another subject for our humanity to work upon almost as deplorable as that before end of chapter one